Good evening and welcome to Christianity Proper. We're going to do another installment here on Crusades and Christian Confusion. This one is going to be uh, a quicker response here, not going to go an hour and a half tonight. Uh, let me go ahead and say this at the beginning. I already apologize for my voice. I'm feeling a little bit under the weather right now, but uh, I think it's due to a good reason. Uh, I believe I caught a little something when we were at the G3 conference in Atlanta last week and over the weekend. What an amazing conference. Plan on doing a podcast on just breaking down all the ways that that was encouraging and some of the stuff we learned, but also uh, just how edifying it was to be with 8,200 other like-minded believers, just hearing sound preaching and teaching from the Word of God and singing songs together with the saints. There was a bomb threat while we were there, which that led to a really awesome moment. But again, I'm going to do a whole podcast just uh, explaining how encouraging it was. I'm not going to break down every sermon from G3. They're free on YouTube. Go watch them. Um, but I do just want to share how edifying and encouraging it was to be there at G3 and that we were able to enjoy it with uh, two of our five children. Um, so planning on doing that, feeling a little bit under the weather. I want to go ahead and dive right in. This is a third installment now on Crusades and Christian Confusion, and I'm not going to belabor any of the points that have already been made. I don't want to, I don't want to repeat things that have already been covered. I don't want to read over passages that have already been read and just keep making the same point over and over again or, or even similar points over and over again. But I do want to address a few things head on. Uh, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to be redundant and just go over stuff that I've already covered. So let's just go ahead and dive right in. The very first thing that I want to say is even if you haven't been keeping up with the crusade that took place in Baxley and the outcome of that, uh, or any public statements that a pastor has made or any other believer has made, even if you haven't been keeping up with that, this comment and this encouragement is still for you. But especially if you have been keeping up with everything. If you have been following the crusade and the the outcome of the crusade and some of the follow-up comments and things that have been said as a result of the crusade, uh, if you have been caught up in the emotion of the aftermath of the crusade, if you have been, uh, if you yourself are frustrated about something that was said or something that was shared um, on either side of the fence, which we're going to talk about the fence and division in a moment, I want to encourage all of us no matter your stance, no matter your thoughts, no matter your emotions, all of us need to understand something. This crusade, whether you were for it or had some concerns with it or whatever it may be, nothing that was said by myself or any other pastor or Christian that had uh, any concerns with it or, or did address the doctrine, or if you're totally for it and you're upset that anybody dared speak out against it, None of this ultimately is about a crusade. None of it is, a, is about denominations. None of this is about hyper this or hyper that. None of this is about, oh, well, you're just a critical person and you need to be a loving person. None of this is about acceptance or rejection. None of this is about anything other than doctrine. If something claims to be Christian, uh, especially, specifically, if it's something where the word of God is claiming to be preached or taught, then what we're ultimately dealing with is matters of doctrine. 
And at the end of the day, either doctrine is sound and it's accurate or doctrine is false and it's in error. And that's what we're dealing with. And so I just want to give an encouragement, a strong encouragement for all people that are in Baxley and the surrounding counties, anyone who's trying to decipher what went on with this crusade and why people, why some people have concerns, why some people are, are just overjoyed and why some people are, are upset that other people would have concerns. Whatever it may be, we are talking about sound doctrine versus false doctrine. It's a matter of doctrine. And we need to understand that when we come before the word of God and when we're attempting to rightly divide the word, and if you're a preacher or a teacher in any, in any form, in any capacity, if we, are, if we are claiming that we're rightly dividing the word of truth to a congregation or to an audience or of any age of listeners, in a very real way, it's as if we're, we're standing or we're treading upon holy ground. The word of God is God-breathed. It's perfect. It's inerrant. It's infallible. And so when we, even if we as believers, if we just get together to discuss doctrine, we ought not be able to do that flippantly. We ought not to be able to just throw accusations out there or throw, uh, throw uh, accusations or pejoratives or, or slander or, or anything like that out there without giving some serious thought and consideration to what we're saying. We shouldn't be able to just talk about it as if it's not a weighty subject matter. We need to be gracious with one another. We need to be patient. And we don't, even if we strongly disagree, we don't need to resort to name calling or slander or lies or just false accusations. We've got to stay focused on what's really going on here. We are talking about the word of God. And we as believers, we know that scripture is our only, it's our sole infallible rule of faith and obedience. This is it. Scripture is able to make us wise unto salvation and it's able to equip us for every good work. So if there is a doctrinal difference, we should actually have a desire and say, hey, this is an opportunity. This is exciting. We, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we actually get to come together, study the word of God together to see what this is actually saying. It should be something that, yes, it can be difficult at times. Yes, it can be stressful at times. It can feel tedious at times, but the end result is always God glorifying. It's a beautiful thing for the people of God to come together and study the word. And how important is it for us to understand sound doctrine? How important is it for us to understand what we're really doing when we talk about doctrine? Um, consider 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, which we covered in the last podcast. 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. Paul actually tells them you should call out the false teachers and you should correct the false teaching because it upsets the faith of believers. It harms the believers. In the book of Galatians, Paul says, if anybody, even an angel from heaven, preaches a false gospel, let that man be accursed. Let them be cut off, anathematized. That's pretty serious. We're told in scripture not to have anything to do with people who teach uh, false doctrine, uh, to avoid them, to stay away from them. We're told to correct them. Uh, we're told to. Uh, we're also told to correct them with gentleness, that peradventure, to use that KJV word, or that perhaps God would grant them repentance. 
Okay. So we are called to correct these things. We're all, we are called to talk about these things. So even if you're listening to this and saying, well, Caleb, you're wrong. I think you're wrong. You're the one who's in error. Then that's a reason for us to sit down with one another with an open Bible and to be able to talk and pray together and seek God together so that we can all grow and be more united in the faith. One thing that I do want to say as far as stuff that's being said and accusations that are being made, um, I find it surprising, but at the same time, not surprising. That one thing that's being said is that people who weren't in, in full support of the crusade are just, you know, they're jealous of other people's ministries, they're, they're upset, they're, they're divisive, they're Pharisees, so on and so forth. I find that very, very hard to believe, but again, at the same time, not hard to believe. Um, but I find it difficult to believe that people would say that when I know in my last video, I said plainly, plainly, and I'll say it again, that my desire is for all of the brothers and sisters in Christ to come together and to be sharpened to study the word of God so that we can be more scriptural, more biblical, because when we're more scriptural, when we actually are being obedient to the scriptures, we're glorifying God more. We're glorifying God to the utmost, right? So yes, we have doctrinal differences, but we need to bring those uh, together with one another and say, okay, which, what doctrine is correct? What doctrine is wrong? We need to accept sound doctrine and reject false doctrine. So again, we should view it as an opportunity for the body of Christ to actually come together and be more united. I said as well that I'm not saying that people involved in this crusade are not Christian. I view this as brothers and sisters that we all need to be sharp and we can grow together, but we need to come together and do that instead of pretending that our differences don't matter because they do matter. Again, Galatians, if you, somebody preaches a different gospel, let them be anathematized, let them be accursed. Correct the false teaching, call out the false teaching. In John chapter 17, um, Jesus himself praying his high priestly prayer, he says in, in verse nine, Jesus says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I know the signal just went out. So I'm reading from John chapter 17. Now I'm in verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not of them. None of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus Christ himself prayed to the Father, sanctify them, the ones that you have given me and the ones who will believe, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The truth sanctifies us. The, the truth edifies us. The truth equips us for every good work of the ministry. So look past all of the excitement, look past all of the hype, look past all of the emotion, look past all of the turmoil, whatever is going on, 
and look to the text. I know that there was there was over 1,600 decisions is what's being reported. That's a huge deal. That's There's some excitement there. Oh, this many, at the very least, we would say, well, this many people are more uh, focused or they're thinking more about Christ than they've ever thought about him before. So yeah, there's some excitement there. There's some hype there. There's a lot of people that are pumping this event up and look what happened. Look how God moved. And yes, I'm saying look past even that. Look past all of the hype, all of the excitement, and look to the text. Specifically with what was being taught from the stage. What were these preachers preaching and teaching? Can you really justify it from Scripture? Can it really be supported from Scripture? And I'm not talking about the times where they mentioned where they did mention the gospel and they briefly brought up actual gospel presentations, the majority of what was going on there was just personal testimony, uh, sharing testimonies and encouraging people to come down to an altar. Can their methods be supported and justified from scripture, right? Nobody, nobody here is saying that nobody should evangelize and that nobody should try to win souls. That's biblical. That's sound doctrine. We should be evangelizing. We should be uh, sharing the gospel with those around us. Nobody's arguing that. But we need to look past all of the hype, all of the excitement, all of the emotion, and get to the text. We need to get to the truth. Scripture tells us we are to study to show ourselves approved. We are to study to show ourselves approved. That's biblical. We're to test the spirits to see whether or not they are of God. We're actually called to do that from Scripture. Whenever we see something that seems to be this great move of God, we should say, hey, let's test the Spirit, see whether or not it really is of God. Let's, let's practice some things. First John chapter 4, um, study to show yourself approved. Second Timothy chapter 4, I believe, or Second Timothy chapter 2. Again, Timothy, Titus, Jude, Second Peter. Justin Peters reiterated this at G3, and this is something I've said before. Every New Testament book except for one addresses false teachers and false teaching. This is something we're called to do as Christians. So that, that's the first and really that's the main point. If you're somebody keeping up with this or even if you're somebody just tuning into it and everything that's going on, look to the text. I don't even want you to take my word for it. Don't just listen to what Caleb says. Go to Scripture. Does it accord with sound doctrine? And let's hold one another accountable. There's a lot of people saying, well, here's what I believe. Here's how I feel. Here's what I think. Okay. I would ask of you, I would challenge you even. When you hear a brother or sister in Christ say, well, this is how I feel, or this is what I think, follow that up with chapter and verse. Show me in scripture why that's how you feel. Show me in scripture why you think that way. Justify your position from scripture. Can you help me understand from scripture why you think that way and why you're speaking that way because that's going to sharpen all of us if we will hold one another accountable and say okay that's fine if you want to hold that position but show me from the text show me from scripture why you hold that position let's sharpen one another let's become more united by holding one another accountable to the scriptures study to show yourself approved test the spirits um, you know, when we hear somebody say, well, well, we have the power to heal. We have the power to rebuke demons and rebuke devils and cast people out. We've got the authority to prop prophesy over entire cities. Ask them, where are you getting that from in scripture? And Hey, if you, 
if you called somebody down front for healing, if you said, if you want to be healed tonight, come forward, and they didn't get healed, what happened? And if, you know, and yeah, I'll, I'll, here I will say a name, Scott Camp. He said, come forward if you want healing. By, by my knowledge, nobody was miraculously healed that night. And, and, the, and again, if he had the power to cast out demons or rebuke strongholds, or then why didn't he just walk through the crowd and free everybody? Because he said in his message that there are people here tonight that are bound. So why didn't he unbind them? Why didn't he let them loose? Why, why was he standing up there wasting our time talking on the stage when he's got the power? I will name a name there because that was blatant false teaching and leading people astray. But when we hear this, when we hear people say, you can heal, you can cast out demons, you can do this, we need to test that. We need to test that up against the scriptures. Um, when we hear things that are blatantly unbiblical, such as come forward or make a decision, make sure tonight, make sure that your name gets written in the Lamb's Book of Life or you can know tonight, you can know tonight that your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Well, Revelation 13, 8 and 17, 8 says that our names are written before the foundation of the world. And that's not a point. I'm not the first one to make that point. But what I'm saying with that is if somebody is saying something that is blatantly contradictory to Scripture, we need to hold them accountable to that and say, hey, that's not your name doesn't get written in the Lamb's Book of Life whenever you make a decision. Your, your name isn't written with. If we know somebody is, is saying something that is biblically false, then we need to follow through with that and say, hey, what's going on here? Why are you saying that? Why are you teaching that? We need to hold one another accountable. And that includes the people that we're listening to that are preachers, teachers, evangelists. We need to hold them accountable. We can't just say, well, they're a big name and they've got a big ministry so we can trust them. Not necessarily. What are they teaching? And preaching again with the authority to rebuke and bind and 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 cast out. I mentioned this last time again. I'm not. I'm going to try not to be redundant. I would encourage you to go back and listen to part two, Second Peter two, and and the book of Jude covers that. False teachers, false teachers will be the ones that uh, rebuke uh, fallen angels or rebuke principalities and and try to fight back in that way. But again, go listen to Second Peter. Or go listen to the second part of the Crusades and Christian Confusion. I reference Second Peter chapter two in the book of Jude there. Um, but what do we do? What do we do when somebody is is teaching falsely? We confront it. We do call them out on it, but we don't call them out on it in hopes that they just leave everybody alone and and stop being stop claiming to be a Christian. We call people out on stuff in hope that they will repent and be reconciled. We call people out on stuff. We address things that are wrong to bring about unity in the body because that's what will make the body stronger. The body of Christ stronger is when we are united in sound doctrine, in the truth. So consider these things. As for me, I want to be clear on something. You say, Caleb, do you address these things because you're worried? Are you, are you worried that something bad's going to happen? I would say in a way you could say, yes, I get real frustrated. I do get worried that Christians, true believers are going to be caught up and led astray. But for a season, do I think a true believer can be caught up in false doctrine? Yes, but for a season, how long that season lasts, I don't know. But here's what I mean by that. Ultimately, no, I'm not worried at all. 
In fact, I'm looking at this crusade and I'm saying, wow, this is an amazing opportunity. And this is an amazing thing that God is doing. I know that God's working through this because there are people that their eyes have already been opened and they're saying, oh, there was just, there really was stuff wrong about that. Not because of how I feel, but because biblically there was just stuff wrong with what's going on and people's eyes are already being opened. People are more tuned in and they are more focused on what's going on in the community right now, spiritually. They are tuned in to hear what people are saying and what people are thinking. So that's a good thing. People's people's minds are aimed towards the direction of Christ and scripture right now. That's a good thing. <coughs> Excuse me. And so it's exciting, actually, because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Yes, I call out false teaching or I try to address false teaching. I don't even really like the term calling it out. But we call it out. We address it. We call it what it is. It's false. For the sake of the bride of Christ and for God's glory, it glorifies God to proclaim truth and to correct error. That does glorify God. And it's for the bride of Christ to strengthen us and unite us in the truth. But the number one reason that I'm not worried is because God is sovereign. And because God is sovereign, there is not a single person that's in Baxley, Hazelhurst, all of Appling County, all of Jeff Davis County, anybody who visited from Wayne County, Toombs County. There is not a single person in any of, any of those places that truly belongs to God that is going to be led astray or forgotten about by Christ. Those people will be saved if they haven't come to faith already. They will be saved. They will be with Christ in glory. And at some point, they will walk out of, of the false teaching and deception. And I know this because Scripture supports this thinking. Scripture supports this idea. Again, can, can a Christian be caught, in, caught up in false teaching? Yes, I would say for a season. But we know from Scripture that the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and they follow him. So I do want to read again. I do want to read again from John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is verse seven, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep don't listen to them. The sheep don't listen to the false shepherds or false protectors of the flock. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The, shepherd lays, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and he leaves them and, the sh and, and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them in also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus here is speaking in absolutes. He says plainly, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also. They will listen to my voice. I'm not concerned at all that any of Christ's sheep who were chosen before the foundation of the earth will ever be forgotten by God. They will be led to salvation. If they're already saved, they will be sanctified. They will be led out of the false teaching in God's perfect timing. If we jump down to verse 22 of John 10, 
At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My sheep hear me, and they will follow me. You don't listen to me, and you don't follow me because you're not of my sheep. The number one reason why I'm not scared that this crusade took place, and I'm worried about, because God is sovereign. The Lord knows his own. The Lord knows those who are his, 2 Timothy 2.19. There's no doubt about it. They're not going to be lost. They're not going to be forgotten about. They're not going to be snatched from his hand. I know that ultimately God will do as he pleases on earth as in heaven, and God will redeem his people, the ones whose names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the earth. He will save them. The reason why we do get worked up and we do address these things is because as these things play out in time, there needs to be voices that are crying out, don't follow them. That's incorrect. They are, they are leading you astray. There do need to be, be voices that are crying out that this is wrong. This needs to be corrected. Those voices do need to be there. And God uses different voices, human voices, to lead people to the truth. God ordains the means as well as the ends. Okay? God ordains all things according to his purposes. So that's the number one reason why I'm not overly concerned or worried because I know that God is sovereign. He's working. If you're a child of God, then he's working even all of this together for his glory and for our good and for his glory. All of the people who are upset, the slander, the accusations that are being made, the stuff that's going on, for the child of God, he's working all this together for good. That's the promise that we have, and he is sovereign, so we can trust that promise. Second Peter chapter 2, Paul, or 2 Timothy chapter 2, I apologize. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells Timothy here, he says, listen, I'm bound, I'm in prison, but remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel for which I'm suffering. I'm bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul actually says, I've been beaten and chained for the gospel that I preach, the true gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been beaten and I'm in chains because of this, but I endure all things for the sake of of the elect. So Paul says, I've been beaten, I've been chained. I am bound, but the word of God is not bound. So I endure whatever, whatever the world can throw at me, I endure it all so that the elect can obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. And I know that nothing will stop God from accomplishing that end. Uh, lastly, I will say this, lastly on this point, when we actually rightly understand 2 Peter 3, 9, that's exactly what this is talking about. And that's another reason why there's no worry here. I'm excited. This is sharpening the body of Christ. This is opening the eyes of the true believers and leading them closer to the truth and giving them the strength to stand for truth as a result of all of this stuff going on. God is using this to sanctify and purify his bride 
2 Peter 3, 9, when he says, or I'll start in 8, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The beloved is the bride of Christ. The beloved are the chosen, the elect of God. Verse 9 says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. None of God's people will perish. God is not willing that any of the beloved perish, and they won't. God is not willing that any of the believers perish, and they won't. And when I say believers, that includes those who have believed and have already died, those who are coming to the faith, and those who are believing now, and those who are yet to believe, those who will believe in the future. As Jesus prayed in John 17, I'm praying for those who will believe on their account. As they go out and proclaim the gospel, I'm praying for the for the ones who will believe in the future. God's not willing that any of the believers, any of the beloved, any of the elect, God's not willing for them to perish, and they won't. There is not one single believer. There's not one single person that's a part of the beloved that will perish. Why? Because God's not willing for them to perish. But God is certainly willing for the unrepentant, unregenerate sinner to perish, and they will be cast away into a sinner's hell forever. So. There's no worry. There's no fear because God is sovereign. God is working all of this for his glory. And I know that I'm confident that there are some people right now that are totally upset that anybody would say anything negative about the crusade that a month from now, a year from now, maybe even a few years from now, they'll look back and say, you know what? My mind has been changed and it has been changed because of scripture. It wasn't changed because that crazy bald guy, Caleb, or any other pastor or Christian who spoke against it or spoke out and said, hey, we need to test the spirits. It's because of the word of God. The word of God, God's spirit led me to a proper understanding of the faith. And I look forward to those days because I know that God will be faithful to do that. Um, we are dealing with the eternal state of people's souls. Whenever we deal with, with doctrine, doctrine affects souls. That's a big deal. The true gospel and sound, and sound doctrine leads to the salvation of souls. False gospels and false doctrine leads to the destruction of souls. So whenever we talk about doctrine, we are talking about the eternal state of people's souls, or we're talking about something that, that affects the eternal state of someone's soul. That's a big deal. If somebody tells you they care about the eternal soul of other individuals, but they don't care, but they don't seem to care about doctrine, they're a liar. We, we cannot truly care about the eternal souls of the people around us while not caring about sound doctrine. Again, the true gospel and sound doctrine saves souls and leads to life. False gospels and false doctrine destroy souls and leads to damnation. So you can't say, well, we love people and we want it and we want to see them saved and not care about doctrine. So if somebody says, oh, we're just about winning souls, we don't get caught up in that doctrine stuff and everything. Okay, well, how do we win souls? Well, it's the gospel. Well, that's doctrine. Doctrine just means teaching. In order to, to, to tell somebody about the, the gospel, you have to be able to understand the gospel. There's a teaching there. We have to be taught by the word of God what the gospel actually is. It's doctrine. So let us not be foolish and try to manipulate people with our own power when what we should be doing is 
claiming the gospel and trusting in God's power. I go back to something I said at the very beginning of all of this. It seems to be that there are many people that they are ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And they are, and they are trying to do it their own way, or they're trying to add to it, or they're trying to tweak it and make it better or make it more acceptable. And then there are those who are unashamed of the gospel, as Paul was. But if we trust the power of the gospel, then we don't need any manipulation. We don't need the power of man. We don't need the, the strength of man or the schemes of man. We need to preach the gospel, proclaim the truth, and allow God to do his will, or I shouldn't say allow God. We should rejoice as, as God accomplishes his will with the preaching and teaching of the gospel. But rest assured, this is a gospel issue. Now somebody says, well, they, the gospel was in there. It was just some of the other stuff. Everything trickles back down to the gospel. You could, you could say that all of scripture from Genesis to Revelation is the gospel. It's all about Jesus. God is able to save souls. By, he doesn't need our strength. He doesn't need our help. In his grace, he allows us to proclaim the gospel and he uses that to, to draw men to salvation. But he doesn't need our strength or our manipulation or our schemes. God is able. We are not. We proclaim the truth and we trust God to save the souls. Two, two brief closing thoughts. Two brief close, closing thoughts. For those of you who are still saying, you know, this had to be a move of God. This had to be God. There's no way that you can convince me that this was not God. There's no way that 1,600 plus people going down to an altar, rededicating or, or praying a prayer of salvation or anything like that. There's no way. There's no way that was not of God. Or if you say, well, I'm on the fence. I'm just struggling to really think through this. I, I, I do want to come to a conclusion that is, that is biblical, that is sound, but I, I, I'm just confused. It seems real, it seems legit, but at the same time, I do see stuff in Scripture that makes me think that, you know, it, it, there's, some, there's some unbiblical stuff going on, but where do I land? You know, where can I firmly plant my feet? Two things, two things in closing. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 12. And what I'm doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises as an angel of light. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. It is noted for us plainly in scripture that false teachers will present themselves as servants of Christ because even Satan himself presents himself as an angel of light. In order for false teachers to be deceptive, they have to have a very strong appearance as a Christian or as a trustworthy teacher or a trustworthy pastor or a trustworthy friend. They have to do a really good job of presenting themselves as a servant of Christ, but really they are a servant of Satan. For even Satan himself disguises as an angel of light. Let that sink in. If you needed to hear something that, that may cause you to say, okay, I'm just going to take a step back, take a deep breath, and I need to admit I could be fooled. And even if you say, oh, no, I don't want to admit that. Okay, take a step back, take a deep breath and say, you know what? I haven't really practiced any discernment. I haven't really tested the Spirit. So 
you know, it is true that ain't that that even Satan presents himself as an angel a lot. I do need to practice some discernment. I do need to think through this. If you needed any encouragement to do that, I would point you to 2 Corinthians 11, verses 12 through, uh, through 15. False teachers disguise themselves as ministers of Christ, apostles of Christ, or, or servants of Christ. False teachers don't look like atheists or look like the devil with a pitchfork, like, oh, we're coming to get you. They look like your brother or sister in Christ. We have that for us in Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 12 through 15. And lastly, I will turn your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13. I'm just going to read the first five verses here, and I think that will, that will help get the point through. Because some may say, well, all of these men, they seem something powerful happened. Something powerful happened at that crusade. Anybody who watched the crusade, even myself, who I went one night, I would have to say there was powerful stuff going on. There was energetic stuff going on. There was exciting stuff going on. So for anybody who says, but it was so powerful, clearly there was a move of something or someone there. Something was going on. How do we discern that? How do we decipher that? What were these men teaching? And if they were teaching false doctrine, then it was nothing. You say, okay, Caleb, you just said it was nothing. Are you saying that nobody got saved? The souls that were saved or the souls that were rededicated during this event, God did that purely by his grace in spite of what was being taught from the stage. But on that note about it was powerful, there was a lot going on. I want us to see what scripture says in Deuteronomy chapter 13. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. So listen, if the teacher, and here in the Old Testament, if the prophet, if the dreamer of dreams, if they prophesy something or if they give you a sign and it actually happens, so they prophesied something or they said that something was going to happen or they show a sign or a wonder and it's legit, <clears throat> it's real, something happens. What they said would come to pass actually did come to pass. That's what we're talking about here. Something powerful took place. And if he says to you, let us go after other gods, which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams should be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. If we have clear and compelling evidence before us that somebody or some organization is a false teacher and they have false doctrine, we need to purge that from our midst. We need to purge the false teaching and purge the false doctrine from our midst. But notice what was said. If that prophet or dreamer of dreams, if they say something and it actually happens, something powerful happens, but then they lead you away from God, don't follow them. And it says God is testing you to see if you love him with your whole heart, with your whole soul. 
when we are led astray by false teaching, when we are led astray by false doctrine, ultimately what we're saying is, God, your word is not enough for me. I want something different. God, what you have given me is not enough. I want something more exciting. I want something different. And we're led away by these false teachers. We're led away by these false doctrines because we're not satisfied with Christ. We're not satisfied with God and his word. And so something is exposed there. The reason, the reason that false teachers have an easy time leading people astray, you could say that a lot of it is on the church for not, not holding to sound doctrine and not, and not proclaiming sound doctrine. But what we follow shows what our heart truly loves. We will follow where our treasure is. And if we treasure Christ, then we will treasure the word of God because Christ himself is the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus Christ himself. If we are satisfied with Christ, then we will be satisfied with the word of God as he has given it to us. We won't, we won't have a hunger for something else. We'll hunger and thirst for righteousness. We'll hunger and thirst for, for Christ. But I just wanted us to notice that it, it is here for us in scripture. It literally says, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And what I see right now in our Christian culture, our Christian setting here in the, the Deep South Bible Belt is ultimately we don't love God. And the way that that gets exposed is we're not satisfied with his word. In fact, a lot of times when people bring up the word of God and make biblical points, they get marked as enemies. They get marked as, well, you're just a Pharisee or you're just, you're divisive or you're hateful. And when we think about those walls, the, that, that fence that we talked about at the very beginning, go look through some of the comments and stuff that are being said and ask yourself, who's really being divisive? Who's casting stones? Who's being hateful? Who's being spiteful? Just read through the comments. Our goal, my goal specifically, I want to see the body of Christ come together and be more united in sound doctrine. We've got to talk about these things, and I'm excited to talk about these things. I would love to sit down and talk with you, have a cup of coffee with you, pray with you, study the Word of God with you. But perhaps, could it be that a lot of this, God is sovereign, so he's bringing all of this about, and what is he exposing? What has he shown? Through this test that he has given us, we see that there are many within the church, and they may very well be our true brothers and sisters in Christ, but their heart still longs for things that are outside of the word of God, things that are apart from God. How do we be sanctified? How do we be purified? It comes through the word, the work of the spirit of God through the preaching and teaching of the word of God. I'm going to wrap up. May God be glorified in all things. Uh, I know for those who are watching, the signal was in and out. I would encourage you and ask of you kindly, humbly to go listen to the podcast where the audio is uninterrupted. Love you guys. This has been Christianity proper, proper doctrine, proper life. Go to the text. Seek God, God who is sovereign. God will accomplish all that he intends. Be discerning, be alert, but also be at peace because Christ has accomplished his finished work of redemption upon the cross. Soli Deo Gloria. May God be glorified in all things. We'll catch you guys next time.